Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsey, back again for our weekly Talk and Footy episode. Love these episodes. There's uh, obviously our Super Coach episodes that you can tune in on, but also our weekly Talk and Footy, which is just all about the big stories in the game over the past week. And I'd like to get different people on a chat that know their footy. Luke's been on the last couple, which has been great. But for this Talk and Footy episode, I'm really excited to have Wilfred Z on board. Wilfred is both a former Supercoach champion, also co-host of the NRL Supercoach Champions podcast, and also an avid Broncos fan. So that's going to be interesting because we do have a big Broncos topic that we're going to cover in this episode. So Wilfred, welcome aboard, mate. It's going to be refreshing for you to just uh, chat about footy and not talk about Supercoach for an episode. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Barnsley. Um, You know, we always enjoy our footy chats, but usually they're very tinged with Supercoach, so it'd be good to just literally focus on the footy. Yep, yep. I, I love doing it because I like to be able to talk about footy without worrying about the Supercoach scores. So we're at Thursday here when we're recording, Wilfred. This is kickoff day. We've got the ball being kicked off tonight between the Manly Seagulls and the Penrith Panthers. Everything we've been waiting for. I can smell the grass. I'm going to get my old shoulder pads out and my old shoes out later. I'm going to put the denker up on my ribs until it burns so I can smell it. I'm just, I'm so excited for it. I can't wait for this kickoff. Yep. I'm, I'm absolutely pumped. It's been a long time coming. It feels like it's been the longest off-season ever, but it's probably not. <laughs> but I'm super keen. It's so good. I'm looking. For, the only downside has been I get to see Nathan Cleary play this game. That would have been the icing on the cake, but I'm still pretty stoked. Yeah, there's always going to be a few outs. Thankfully, a lot of the preseason injuries, um, unfortunate for the players involved, but have been uh, non-superstar type of injuries like Hayes Dunster and so forth. But Cleary being ruled out now is a bit of a bummer. Uh, Craig Fitzgibbon's just been ruled out from his coaching debut for the Sharks, and that's a bit of a bummer too because I quite like that Sharks team and I really wanted Fitzgibbon to be there and to see them go at full strength and stuff, and I think that'll make a difference for them. But um, obviously Adam Reynolds is the other star signing that's out, and that's going to affect your Broncos quite a bit. Yep. <laughs> Amongst a whole heap of other changes as well. It's not great, that's for sure. Yes, well, it's, it should be a really good season. And this round as well, I was a bit worried about the rain too. But I can tell you, you, you are up in Brisbane, but I'm down in sunny Sydney. It is not raining at all. There is not a cloud in the sky. It is blue as. It is like God himself knew that footy was kicking off today and he had to get rid of the rain by Thursday. And he's done it. Like I seriously thought that it was going to be the, the worst round one with these dire games and stuff and the superstars like Turbo not being able to do much. But the stage is set for the kickoff here in Sydney, mate. For these Sydney games anyway, it looks like it's uh, sunshine today at least for tonight's game. Yeah, look, uh, I think... You know, not just for super coach purposes, but just watching the footy. I know there's a certain appeal to watching them get stuck in the mud and, you know, have those real grinding kind of defensive slog games because you can't spread the ball around. But I think, you know, especially with the footy you've been seeing in the last two seasons, just that expansive uh, football, it's just been so good to watch. So I'm keen to see some of that again. Yeah. And I mean, what's, is there any games in particular that you're looking forward to this round that you think are, are really good matchups? Oh, I think, yeah, like I said, I, I had this game, not just because of the first game of the round. I was really looking forward to seeing Cleary take on Turbo. Uh, you know, two teams that you could argue are top four contenders again. Uh, I think it's a great way to start the round. Aside from that, I mean, some of the other games are pretty lopsided, honestly. Mm. There aren't too many that I'm super keen to watch. Uh, you know, the, the majority of my interest probably is more super coach based than actual footy based. This was the game that I'd, I'd penciled in as the one to watch for sure. Yeah, well, I, I think obviously this game is a bit of a blockbuster still, even without Cleary. And it's the first game in the round. So the NRL have scheduled it really well, especially when you've got Thursday night football to have two high caliber teams go at it that are two contenders. I think it was um, a smart but an obvious choice. As well as that, like I am obviously looking forward to the Roosters play, um, playing against the Knights, but just having the Roosters team intact is going to be great. You know, I went through most of last season not being able to see my team at full strength. So it's something that's going to be really exciting for me as a Roosters fan. But aside from that, I'll actually pinpoint the the Eels, give the struggling Eels fans a little bit of hope. Uh, I'm sort of, 
Oh, like the the Titans have got some exciting players. Um, I like some of the Eels players, but there's been a lot of talk around how well the Eels are trained in the off season and different things. And they've got a few different faces and a different makeup of that side. And there's been a lot of talk around them in the preseason. So I'm interested to see how that how the Eels team actually performs against the Gold Coast Titans on the weekend, which should be entertaining if we don't get rain. Um, although I think the Eels are probably a decent wet weather footy team. I don't think the Titans really are. No, I, de- I definitely agree with all of what you just said there. I mean, I guess maybe I was looking more at the potential for a tight contest. I feel like the Eels are going to account for the Titans pretty comfortably. And that's what I was looking at across the board. I just think there could be some lopsided score lines. Maybe the Warriors and the Dragons could be a bit closer. Mm. I am interested in watching both those teams. I think, you know, on paper, both teams could be good, but they could also have the potential to flop. So I'm really interested to see... You know, for the Dragons, like, was what we saw in the Charity Shield just a, a flash in the pan or are they actually a better team than uh, that, you know, than a lot of people had them uh, written off as? Uh, and the Warriors, obviously, you know, they've been going through a pretty tough two seasons, not being able to go back to New Zealand. It's, you know, arguably sometimes it helps them because they're, they're obviously training together, they're all of them are living together and, you know, that team bonding is something that probably they don't normally get. Plus they don't have to worry as much about traveling overseas and, you know, the impact of the travel is much more reduced than they normally have. So I think that kind of helps in some respects, but obviously being away from family is, is huge for those, uh, the players who, you know, whose family stay uh, st- still in New Zealand. Yep. Yep. And I spoke about that with Billy too, that sort of I've been, been overlooked a little bit that the Warriors are pretty well adjusted now for, and the fact that they don't have to travel is just such a blessing in disguise for them. You know, they've got a few Queensland teams there that they just get to go up the road and play. And that makes it a lot easier as well. Uh, look, it's a great round of footy. I'm really super excited for it to kick off. But there is always in rugby league some big storylines every week. There is no shortage of topics that we can cover. But the first one, funnily enough, actually involves your Brisbane Broncos. So it is fate. But what has happened in the last week is Kevin Walters has got a contract extension before a ball has even been kicked off. So just having a look at some of that, like, first of all, I I find it astounding. Now, obviously, the reason that's going to be thrown around and certainly the glass half full reason or the support of it being a positive move is going to be that you don't want any distractions, you want continuity, you don't want any questions during the year about him being sacked or other things or whether he's going to be coached next year and all that sort of stuff. That's all well and good, but I just, I really question whether that's the right move. So it was confirmed Friday that the Broncos have extended Walter's contract till the end of the 2023 season. So he's effectively gotten an extra year next year to work with this team. And look, it's his first two years, I don't think that you could deem as a success at all. I think Broncos fans, some of Broncos fans, not to say all, kind of masked how bad they were last year still because they weren't really that far off the bottom. Like the, the Bulldogs were a terrible team. Like that was a year where the bottom team was just so much worse than everyone else, you know, and then the Broncos were in that next couple of teams that weren't that far off getting another spoon and it would have been back-to-back spoons as well. So obviously there's always positive signs. Like I think for most teams, there's always positive signs and there's some scattered around last year. I'm sure that you'll take some positivity out of the second half of the season and some of those performances. But to me, Wilfred, giving Kevin Walters an extension at this point, is just such a bad move. And I just can't say that enough. You'd at least want to see, just because of even this last two years, like if you're not happy with two years of football under Kevin Walters and that there's question marks over his coaching ability, which there 100% should be. I'm not a Kevin Walters fan. I don't believe that he's going to be at the Broncos long-term now. Um, If you've got those questions and you've got those performances, rewarding that sends a really bad sign to the players. And I think it's actually really poor and amateur management, which I don't think in decades past the Broncos are associated with. You know, they've always been a powerhouse club and this just kind of piles on the misery for me. Like, I just don't think it's a smart, intelligent move. I would be waiting a couple of months, two months into the season, you know, if the Broncos are even four and four or something and you like what you've seen, give him a contract extension then. But giving it to him before we even kick off, what do you, how do you feel about this as a Broncos fan? And from a footy fan perspective, if you're managing a football club, would you do this? No way. There's no chance I would have done it. Uh, honestly, I hate it as a Broncos fan. You know, I've spoken in the past. Look, I didn't hate when Kevy signed on because 
you know, the Broncos, you can see on the field, like stump, something was rotten in that club. I tend to think it was more than just the on-field product. It was more actually, you know, from the top down, the CEO, the recruitment, uh, a lot of the strength and conditioning. There was just heaps of stuff going wrong, basically. And it was just, it wasn't a pleasant place from what I hear as well. So it wasn't the Broncos of old, you know. Broncos of old, they obviously very successful on the field, but also it was a place that players wanted to be at. You know, it was a a really stable environment. Uh, Things could be (laughs) relied upon and, you know, players were happy and they wanted to play there and and things like that. And that had just been going slower, like it just been going away slowly. And you can point to all sorts of things as to why that was the case. You know, a lot of, you know, the more casual fans probably talk about Wayne Bennett leaving, uh, but, you know, it wasn't just that. There was a lot more to it. And, you know, a lot of people blame, you know, Anthony Seabold and things like that. And sure, he was definitely a large part of it, but it wasn't the be-all and end-all of everything that was going on uh, with the Broncos. So in that sense, when Kevy came on, I thought that was probably, you know, it wasn't my favourite move, but I could see the positives in it. And, you know, whilst it hasn't fully translated, I do think what he's done is somewhat, fixed I wouldn't say solved like he's kind of put the culture in the right direction again so you know trying to bring back some of that old Broncos aura that they used to have that's just definitely gone away the last few years and and doing that he's had to make some calls on players that really weren't fitting in Um, maybe they you know to to use examples obviously I'm going to point to a couple of players that have left like the likes of Matt Lodge uh, Tavita Pangai even you know my 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 boy Anthony Milford, who I've defended for many times, but <laughs> the reality is that these guys were either you know super talented, but they weren't great trainers. Uh, they were potentially a bit entitled in terms of you know if they lost, it wasn't the end of the world for them. They'd lo- they'd lose and then they'd go out and you know enjoy the night out with their mates and you know maybe they'd go and have a drinking session or whatever. So very unprofessional, and you, know, you just wouldn't hear that like. Can you imagine um, just having a a 59 nil flogging or whatever, and then feeling like you're up to go out for a drink or a gender reveal? You just, I couldn't. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's not go there. That I don't want to talk about that. That's uh, I'm trying to block that from my memory. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it just boggles the mind that, that you could think, you know, it's okay to lose and then go out and have a drink. Like it just, it it was rotten. It stunk. So Kevy, in a sense, you know, he brought back that expectation that as a Bronco, you should expect to succeed. And when you lose, that's not normal. And I think, you know, it's not, not obviously fully translated and he's got his flaws because he's not realistically, he's not a very good coach. He's baffling with his selections, the way he's managing his players, all that type of stuff. I criticize him for ages for it, but like I said, I think he's done some good in kind of getting the Broncos back to where they need to be. Um, it's not going to be the finished product, but I do like some of what he's doing. Now, whether that's going to translate to on-field success, I don't know. Um, the expectation is there. I mean, I wanted Adam Reynolds like three years ago, yeah. basically, when he first came yep. off contract. He would have been the perfect signing back then when we'd lost Ben Hunt and, you know, like – if Milford had stayed and they got Adam Reynolds, it would have been so different. Honestly. Well, you know, you know what's important about being a coach, being a good coach. And you said yourself, he's not a very good coach. You know what's important when you're extending a coach that you're extending one that you think is good. Uh, so it just yeah. it really baffles my mind. You know, exactly. when you when you want continuity, when you want stability, and when you want to get on the front foot of this stuff early. You know, when you do that, when you have a good coach. Uh, the Roosters did it. Yeah. They just did it until 2028. You're not going to hear anything bad about that because they've got a good coach. So if you've got a good coach or you know that your direction of your club and your team and you like where you are going, that's when you say, you know what, we're not going to carry this into the season round one. We're going to get this done now because one, we don't want anyone coming and poaching this guy. And two, we don't want any distractions or anything. And we both know what we want here. This is a great coach. He's going well with our team. He's heading in the direction we want. Everything's working. We'll re-sign him. Kevin Walters is the opposite spectrum of Trent Robinson. So if you re-sign <laughs> this guy over here and this guy's in the opposite situation in every single way, 
how can the answer be to re-sign him for another year? It just it, it just baffles the mind that you do that. And when you have a look at a few things too, just to expand on it, like now you tell me that three years isn't enough to improve a team enough to know what's going on. Like if you're if you're not comfortable with the direction of a team or the coaching or you have question marks on what a guy is doing as a head coach three years in, then that should tell you a lot. Again, the average player like won't even last eight years in the NRL, you know, and this guy's going to have 40% of the average player's career coaching your club. If he's not going the right way, you should be able to know by now. And the other thing too is that you should be putting pressure on him. Like, if Walters cannot perform under pressure this year in a contract year, that tells you a, a world of things that you're not going to find out either. So it's not long-term, but, I mean, you're, basically, you're guaranteeing two years when you could have got off the hook after one year. So I just I really don't get it. And I'm going to finish off as well by saying and putting to you, Wilfred, there might be some improvements in, in some things, but all these things could have been done, I'm not going to say easily, but I think that it was pretty obvious to a lot of people the things that needed to be done as far as changing the culture and, and the things that were rotten in that club. And you can do that with not being a head coach, number one. But number two, look at the coaching decisions that this guy is making. Like, I could not believe that there was rumours that he was going to start David Mead, but some Broncos fans will disagree with what I'm about to say. Asako is starting fullback and Corey Oates is, on the start, is starting on the wing. And for two years under Walters, those guys were pretty much available to any club that wanted to take on their contracts or the best part of it anyway. You know, like how can you have these guys that you, you were saying aren't really part of your plan and then all of a sudden you flip-flop and you start them, especially when you've got some young guys that you can put in or some other selections that you could make. Like when he does things like that, it just says to me, he's just not up to it and he's had enough opportunity. Last year, how many times did we see a team list come out on a Tuesday with a brand new halves combination that Walters had? Like I think he had like seven or eight combinations last year of different halves. Some of those were through injury, but not many. Most of them were through him just chopping and changing. Like he looks like to me someone running around searching for things that are going to help and just firing a shotgun with 85 shots in it and hoping that one of them hits. Like that is how his selections have looked for me. And as a Broncos fan, like, does the selections cause concern for you when you see things like this? Oh, absolutely. I think he's only actually coached us since, uh, well, only one season. So he took over in September of 2020. In a sense, like, he's only had one year at the club. So this is his technically second season at the helm. And look, I, I agree. Like, I don't trust his coaching decisions. Uh, for me, what really stunk was, you know, we spent all of the 2021 preseason Tom Dearden was meant to be our halfback. He trained there all preseason and two weeks out, Brody Croft has half a trial game that was good. All of a sudden he's our starting half and Tom Dearden's confidence mm. is shot, you know, and he's on his way out. Like I, I, I don't blame the kid for leaving. And I genuinely feel the Broncos ruined him. Um, look, he's obviously, you know, maybe seeing a bit of resurgence now at the Cowboys and good on him for that. Um, you know, maybe being able to work with someone like JT, uh, makes a huge difference there. So, you know, I, I think that's really good for him. I don't hold any uh, bad blood. No, no. You can't say that like a gamble or, or over the hill Albert Kelly from the Super League is it was a better option than than pursuing than persisting with Dearden. Like that was just yeah, crazy. I just think the problem is like we didn't have the right people in place to be able to support someone like a Dearden. Like now we do, you know, Adam Reynolds plus Dearden would have been great, honestly. Mm. Would have been a good way to let him, you know, get settled and not have all the pressure on him and you know I, I totally agree with the chopping and changing of the halves like he did a soft in the first half of the season I, I do have to say in the second half after he'd kind of settled on his pairing it did kind of get ruined by suspension and then by injury so I will give him a pass mark for that but the first half of the season was just a shambles I guess you could put it down to he was ultimately a very inexperienced you know well, it was his first NRL gig so I get that that could mean you're going to make some less wise decisions. And, you know, sometimes you're willing to forgive it. You know, the problem is, is he didn't learn from his mistakes and, you know, maybe he's learning and, and I'm happy to give him at least this season to see that. That's why I agree. Like it doesn't make sense to extend him when he hasn't proven that he could at least learn from his mistakes that he was doing last year. So mm. I will say that he did some things that were good as well. Like, and this is because it wasn't even his job, you know, the Broncos meant to have proper recruitment. Uh, you know, they have a recruitment retention team. And 
in it just came out that Kevy was actually forced to step in and do some of that when obviously hit that's not his job you know um we almost lost Brendan Pukura uh on top of already losing Sam Walker and Reese Walsh and all that type of uh talent that was walking out the doors and we were close to losing Pukura as well if it wasn't for Kevy literally stepping in uh, I think the story was something along the lines of he got him and I think I don't know if it was Lockie or someone else they went over and had dinner with the family and literally got him to sign and stay. <laughs> that's that's what it took. Uh, it's just insane that it it got to that because, yeah, as a head coach, that's not your job. You know, you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't have to do that. You should be focusing on, obviously, you know, making sure the on-field mm. is in in play. And, and unfortunately, I think that's what didn't help, obviously, as a rookie, inexperienced coach like that, to be asked to have to, you know, go above and beyond what most head coaches have to do in terms of their day-to-day kind of role. Uh, it couldn't have helped. So like I said, I was willing to give him a pass mark for last year. I was wanting to see what he could do this year before I'd even consider him to be a, an option for even any, even one more year. So yeah, it, it baffles me. <laughs> well, it's still like, you know, he might've had to have gone above and beyond and he might be a rookie NRL coach or well, early on in his career NRL coach, but he still coached a Queensland origin team. And yes, it's very different and it's for a much longer period and it's different caliber of players and whatever, but it's still significant coaching experience. And he's also had access to very good coaching staff around him that would have taught him things or he should have taken things from like I very different to other head coaches that are in their first or second year like an O'Brien or something like that, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't really give him too many pass marks. And, I, I look, I'm not a believer that they'll go well this year. And, in fact, I think that, you know, with all South's dramas as they are, they still could absolutely trounce them round one, which is going to make this contract thing look even worse. If they get done by 40 or 50 points, you know, Cody Walker sets up five drives and scores three or something. Yeah, I could see that happening this round. And that's going to make everything look that much worse. Let's move on from the Broncos. The yes, other, please. yeah, yes, please. <laughs> the other big topic as well um, that's sort of come up again the past week, but it's been around for a couple of years is expansion. So obviously we have Redcliffe coming through 2023. Fantastic. 17th team. There obviously needs to be an 18th team, especially with the TV deals and everything else. And even just not wanting buys all the time. We need 18 teams eventually. And uh, 83% of club bosses, I think it was, uh, were giving the tick of approval for a New Zealand team to be the second team. And certainly now it's coming that the New Zealand second team is the front runner to be the NRL's 18th team in the future. So the support's definitely growing. Um, It's been reported that Channel 9 and the free-to-air broadcasters are, are, are pushing it as well. Um, there was a recent survey in the Sydney Morning Herald of club bosses. They were all very much on board with it. And the two places I were looking at, you know, they were either looking at a team based in Christchurch um, or a team based in Wellington. And those look like the two front runners for who is going to be the 18th team. A couple of comments about that, Wilfred. For me, I'm a big supporter of expansion. I think it's very good that the NRL is finally looking at it. Uh, I think that we probably as a game could have looked at it earlier than what we have. But I always have a real problem when you're talking expansion and then the criteria for someone's definition of what expansion is to one person is very different to mine. Redcliffe to me wasn't really expansion because not doing anything, you know, it's like a 40 minute drive from Brisbane or whatever. Like it's like 30 Ks or something. It's not, it's not far away from Brisbane. Yeah. Are we really expanding the game? Like is is there kids in Redcliffe that weren't playing footy before that are going to play now because the dolphins are there? Like to me, that was just, it's not expansion to me. You're not growing your audience on TV. You're not growing your audience in a stadium and you're not really growing your participation either. You're not growing your game. And that's what expansion needs to be for me. So I wasn't a huge fan of the whole Redcliffe thing. And then with this, you know, you can say, well, there's only the Warriors in New Zealand. They're called the New Zealand Warriors. I mean, that's something that needs to change because they used to be the Auckland Warriors. But that club, I, I like having... You know, the Warriors, I'm a big fan of the Warriors. I'm a big supporter of the Warriors, and I think they've got a fantastic fan base. But I wouldn't say that club has ever become a blockbuster club in the NRL. They have certainly not become a powerhouse. They certainly have their own work to do in that one New Zealand team that's already there. So putting a second one there doesn't make massive sense to me. And a couple of other points, and then I'm interested to see whether you're on board with me or you totally disagree, because I know that my opinion might be a bit polarising on this. 
But the other couple of things too is that in recent times, we've actually just seen how difficult logistically it is with the travel. And it's come to the forefront because New Zealand is a separate country to Australia, obviously. And with the pandemic that we've just experienced, it became very difficult to have that New Zealand team stay in the competition. If we had two of those teams, it would have been twice as difficult. And things like that, very real possibility coming up again in the future. The the Warriors still aren't even, you know, having New Zealand home games at the moment. So logistically, it's hard. Even just travel, you know, it's hard enough for teams like the Warriors to have to travel to Australia all the time. But equally, you've got 15 other clubs that have to travel to a different country all the time as well whenever they're playing the Warriors. So once that starts happening again, the travel kicks in. And if you've got two of those teams, obviously there's a lot more to it. But the biggest thing for me, Wilfred, that I'll finish up on, and it just seems so obvious to me, expansion is getting new fans, new participation of players that weren't going to play rugby league before and just getting a whole other area and geography of Australia involved in the game. We are very much an East Coast sport. Uh, Perth is obviously the area that you could go to. Perth, love their love their sport. They've got a fantastic stadium already. Uh, when you look at the population sizes, you know, these two New Zealand teams, you've got Christchurch with a population just under 400,000, Wellington about 200,000. Perth itself has a population of over 2 million. And, yeah, you know, AFL dominates over there. We get it, but... In the last decade especially, there's been so many expats from the rest of Australia that have moved to Perth. Like I know a dozen close friends that have all moved to Perth just because of the housing prices and things. You know, you have a lot of people over there that aren't actually born and bred WA and they they have enough trouble, you know, watching the footy with the time zone differences or whatever or getting their one game thrown at them once every two years as an exhibition match or whatever they get, you know. There's already a little bit of a fan base there. Um, and I will throw the AFL stuff out there. You know, it's a very big deal. But, you know, in New Zealand, there's a big rugby union influence as well when you're having to get kids over from rugby union to rugby league. So, I mean, look, I just... Perth, to me, is expansion. It should have been the 17th team, not the 18th team. But for me, it just makes too much sense for it to be the 18th team. So, not a huge supporter on this New Zealand stuff, but it seems like one of these two New Zealand teams is going to come in. Yeah, look, I I tend to agree on that one. I, I... I think expansion is great and all, but the reality is, is you know, we, we literally just had one team introduced, and the Dolphins are already struggling to sign players. Yeah, it seems crazy, right? You've got, Another really good point. I just think, you know, it's it's not that we don't have the talent, but we definitely do. It's just it's hard enough getting these new clubs off the ground. I, I, now, I have to admit, I haven't looked at the time frame for when this 18 team might be proposed, but. Then they're looking at like sort of by 2028 because of the the way the TV deals work and stuff. Right, yeah. Like, and look, maybe by the time it's 2028, that's obviously five years after the Dolphins are in the competition. It might be a different story, but, you know, they're going to need some time to get established and you know, build up a fan base and, you know, all the things you mentioned there. And I totally agree. Like I, I'm much more for expansion into areas where you are going to develop, you know, more fans and, and actually have, more people interested in playing rugby league and, you know, like right now the AFL are getting a free kick, you know, as they say uh, over in, in, in WA and, and obviously even South Australia mm. where there was, you know, there used to be a rugby or, or at least a rugby union or rugby league, some sort of rugby related presence there. And now it's just not happening. So I totally agree. I, I honestly thought Perth was the logical place. I get why they wanted to get another team in Brisbane because you know, obviously a huge existing fan base, people who like rugby league, Broncos not going so well. So I get all of that. So I don't hate the Redcliffe decision in the end. Oh, sorry, the Dolphins decision. Oh, God, don't <laughs> start with me about them not wanting to be called Redcliffe, honestly. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, to me, it makes sense. If they're going to go in another team, uh, I would have thought, you know, out, out west over in Perth would have been the, the prime choice. Or even if not, then Adelaide again or something like that. That that's yeah. still a better area than going for the second team in New Zealand. Yeah, and you know what else? Like one of the things that I really have been waiting for decades with with NRL management, and you kind of started to think that you had it with Flanders, but at the end of the day, it didn't really come to fruition. I want someone to be brave. I want the administration to be bold. I want them to be confident, and I want them to be aggressive and brave in their decision making. You know what we're saying with the AFL in WA is basically in a nutshell, we're too scared. Like, and you know what? You know who wasn't scared? 
AFL didn't give a shit about the NRL in New South Wales when it put the Swans in. And it certainly didn't give a shit when it put the Giants in. And the Giants needed a hell of a lot of backing. But they weren't going to be scared away from rugby league being here. You know, I hate to think as a game, the gladiatorial sport the rugby league is, that we are scared of AFL in WA. Don't be scared. Be brave. Be aggressive and go for it and have some intelligence and some good people around you to be able to put a strategic plan in place for that to be successful because we don't need to beat AFL. We don't need to beat it. You know, I watch some AFL games. I'm not a massive fan, but I like sport, love sport. So I'll watch it all. There are people that are AFL supporters that will always be AFL supporters, but that doesn't mean that they won't watch rugby league. Yep. So there is just so many things wrong with being worried about that. Uh, and look, the, the other good example too, that the NRL should be hanging their hat on more is the success of the Melbourne Storm. Victoria, you know, 50 years ago, people would say, you're mad. Don't go near Victoria. They're only interested in AFL. They don't want anything to do with rugby league. You're going to be throwing your money away. Now you've got Storm, one of the most successful Australian clubs out of any sport. And I, I still remember playing footy when I was a youngster and having people come up from Melbourne and come to my training session and talk to about half a dozen of us about going and boarding down there and becoming a part of the Melbourne Storm system. And, you know, like I I was never going to be good enough to ever play or anything like that. Um, a couple of other guys that were in that group were. <laughs> but, um, like, it was it was exciting. And that's how you start to build those sort of things. You know, and the NRL has a good opportunity now with many years before they need to launch this team to say, you know what, why don't we invest a few years into Perth by having them in the, you know, the lower grades and stuff or even some type of other competition or entrance or whatever, but the grassroots stuff, start to build that now. Start to talk about these kids about having a goal, you know, four or five years' time you could be playing for the Perth Reds or whatever you want to call them. You know, put that in place because you'll start to get participation. And if you put that in place for a few years, you're going to build yourself up to being in a pretty good position. Obviously, someone like Redcliffe's already got that because Queensland is a heavy rugby league community that are, that are all playing. But there's still people that play rugby league in Western Australia already. And you can build on that grassroots to build towards having a strong club. I I really, really want someone to turn this around and to get Perth in. Um, I agree with you even with Adelaide. Like, I don't know if Adelaide would be terribly successful just because of the population and a few other factors and it's quite a small town. But I'd rather they gave that a crack than, than, again, going for New Zealand. And not to... Not to shit on New Zealand at all. Like, I love having the Warriors and whatever, uh, and I don't want to be territorial, but it's the National Rugby League as an Australian competition. We do have another country in it, New Zealand, but, you know, when our own country already is really an East Coast sport, um, we really need to, I think, strengthen Australia first before we look at New Zealand. Look, let's move on, Wilfred, because I could fire up about Perth for days. Um, <laughs> conference systems read at Ted again. There was a wide world of sports poll where had a resounding no to the conference system. Uh, it seems to be a bit of a Channel 9 agenda, I'm going to say, because the wide world of sports, Channel 9, and those two just keep coming up with this pushing of this conference system. You know, it was a year ago where Gus Gould went on a massive offensive to try and get a conference system in place to, to go in line with these expansion teams. And, the thing in the back of that is that they think that it will make more revenue and certainly as a TV deal that they have, they want to make more revenue out of it um, and a conference system is the way to go. I honestly find it astounding um, and I think that I, I don't actually, I think that we've got a pretty good system as it is. I, I quite like our system. Everything could be tweaked and you're never going to get perfection, but I think it's quite good. You know, the NRL is fine as it is. So I don't understand why you change conference system. Um, the examples given just kill me because I'm a big basketball fan, Wilfred. I know you're a big NFL fan. And, you know, that the article a year ago and once again, now that we've got it coming back up again, it's like, well, the NBA uses it. You know why the NBA uses conferences? Because there's 30 teams exactly. across a massive country exactly. where you've got to travel 12 hours to get to your game. And you even have to go to Canada as well. Like, it's it, trying to compare the two is crazy, let alone the fact that billions and billions and billions of dollars the NBA is worth compared to what the NRL is worth and then compared to the population in America, which is about 12 times the population of Australia, and the fact that basketball is a really countrywide popular sport and, and football is obviously massive as far as the NFL goes. So 
you can't try and get a, a square conference system from over here and put it into a round hole. It's just not going to happen. And it's it's just silly to compare it. So I, I'm not a fan of the conference system. I'm a fan of how we have it now with a few little tweaks maybe. How do you feel about it? And do you think that it's agendas at play that this keeps getting brought up and pushed? I honestly don't understand why it keeps coming up because it just it's not going to work with the way the teams are currently structured. Like you've got nine teams in Sydney. It's just never going to work to find a way that you can actually balance that conference system. It does my head in all the time because I always see the suggestion is we'll have the Sydney conference and then we'll have every other team. I'm just like, that's ridiculous because the Sydney conference. Yeah, so the New Zealand team and the like the Townsville team, the two opposite ends exactly. of the earth. People the come to Storm and to, to Townsville, to New Zealand, and if you know, eventually Perth comes on or whatever. Like it's just crazy. And then you've got, you know, these other eight teams that just travel, you know, within like five kilometers of each other or whatever, you know, obviously exaggerating there, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just insane yep. that they can think that's a good idea. And usually it's, it's coming from people who are just absolutely Sydney centric. I mean, yeah, look, it just doesn't make sense. Not unless they start spreading out those Sydney teams and actually get it more national, if you want to call it that. So yeah, I just can't see it working. It just, it's not going to be balanced in any way. And yeah, you're right. Like it's just, and that's even just looking at the geography. If you actually look at how our competition's set up, like this, but just... it would be awful, wouldn't it? Like, could you imagine just having the, like the the fifth best team and the best team playing in the grand final? Yeah, it just wouldn't make any sense. And you kind of look at it as well. Like, you know, right now, sure, the broadcasters have a lot of control over the scheduling and stuff, but generally, they they get it right in that they often put the good teams to play against each other twice a year, you know, in the regular season. And if you put that into a conference team, if those aren't the good teams, then you're going to end up with a lot of bad teams playing each other twice. And I think that's just going to, you know, not be uh, conducive to a good product. So no, I tend to agree with what you're saying. Like, I think the current system is not perfect, but it's going to be better than anything a conference system will dish up. Yeah. And you're going to get like, all the excitement for a final series ramping up and whatever and all that fanfare and whatever. And the reality is the four teams from one conference or maybe they'll go five teams from one conference. And this is the other thing. When you've got a conference system, like more teams make it than, than normal, than our current system. So it'll probably be like five teams. Like already there's arguments in recent years that teams seven and eight aren't very good and they're just fodder, you know, and that's been the case for a couple of years now. Uh, if you're going to expand that and have like a five like a five and five conference system where the winner gets a week off and the other four play it out and things like that on each side of the court, all of a sudden you've got team nine and ten getting through in a 16, 17 or 18 team competition and it's just not it's not quality football. And you might find for many years, and this happened in the NBA, right? It used to be that uh, you know, in the in Jordan's heyday in the NBA, the uh, the Eastern Conference was very strong. And then it made a big turn. And then in the in the late 90s and 2000s, the Western Conference was so dominant compared to the East. Like there was so much more talent in the Western Conference than the Eastern Conference. So you always had this first few rounds of the playoffs in the East were just crap. There was just like teams getting flogged and it just wasn't good basketball. And in the West, it was great. It was like you had like a really good, strong final series the whole way through. And it was just such a disparity. And you know what? With any sport, Wilfred, people don't want to watch. They don't want to watch bad games of that sport, <laughs> you know. Like, so why are you making the finals games worse by putting it in a conference? Except for people who play fantasy sports, they will watch the oh, trash games as well. <laughs> but no, I totally agree. Like, we just want to see the good teams play, and then you know, when it comes to the business end of the season, we want to see the good teams play each other. So you know, the conference system, like when we've only got 16 teams, 17 teams, it's just not going to work. And like, it's it's also something where the NBA was given as an example, obviously, which why I keep bringing it up, but um, the NBA themselves have already had pushes the last five years to get rid of their conference system. Like they're at a point of the evolution of their game and their league where they're considering moving away from it because it has worked so poorly. And because of what I said, you know, often one of the, either the East or the Western Conference isn't the best, the second, third, or even fourth best team sometimes in the league. And they're having these these final series that aren't the two best teams. So there's already been pushes for for them to to go away from the conferences. And they've actually looked at it the last five years. It hasn't happened. But like, if they're looking at moving away from it, how far behind the times are we looking to move towards it as an option, you know? Like, 
it's just it, it's such backwards thinking all the time. And I, I, I do think that sometimes it can take a lot away from overseas sports. I spoke last week with Luke about um, contract structures and minimum and maximum contracts and how you can reward with extra years and stuff with home teams. Things that the NBA and the NFL and the MLB do really well in America. Mm-hmm. But you take those little things that do work and that do fit. You don't take ideas that just don't work at all. And it's a very cultural thing over there, right? They've always had conferences. It's ingrained in in how they do things. And they've got little compartments of the country that are like rivals because the country is so vast and there's so many in their population that it works out well and culturally it just works for them. There's a lot of things in American culture that don't work in Australia and you can't just bring over and work. Taco Bell's having their third crack, I think, in our market. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work again either. Yeah. Let's move on to... Some team news at Souths. There was a Latrell dust up at training. Latrell and Jacob Post went at it, had to be separated by teammates, and there's been a lot made of it. Um, I have to say, like, it's, I think if it wasn't Latrell, it wouldn't even come up. So I'll go into bat with the, for Latrell a little bit here. I don't think if it was other players, it would have come up. And I know for a fact that it wouldn't because this happens every single week. And as someone who played footy for a very long time, I can tell you that not every teammate likes each other. And even teammates that are best friends end up just having a grumpy day or, or a few incidents will happen or whatever, or someone will push someone's face in the dirt and and all of a sudden, you know, there'll be a push and shove and a grab and they'll be on. Now, it's not like Latrell grabbed him and knocked him out and broke his jaw or anything or there was a massive fight. You know, it was a little dust up. So is it really a big deal? To me, it's not because to me, it happens in every football team at every level and it actually happens very consistently. Um, and I think that the coach, Demetrio, came out and said, I actually like it. It shows that they're competing. It shows that they're passionate. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they shook hands and stuff and there's no real blood afterwards and that's fine. So I really think the media made a little bit too much out of this one. Totally agree. Like, it's just an absolute storm in the teacup type situation to me. Like, you're right. I think if it wasn't Latrell, it probably wouldn't have even been an article um, because we hear about it all the time. I, I mean, I guess the Broncos kind of cop that too whenever they have a dust up or two. You know, the Courier Mail does get into it and, because it gets clicks. That's about pretty much all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, yeah, it's not a big deal. Obviously, if it results in injury, then not so great. But if it's just a bit of a push and shove, um, you know, someone gets knocked over, whatever, no big deal. You know, play on. Yeah, and I like James Graham was on NRL 360 last night and was talking about it as well and saying how it's happened so many times with him. And, like, he gave a really good example, which is true. Like, especially I remember – hearing a story from someone close to the Roosters. It was on the coaching staff at the time. Um, Marco Mealy came over, was coming through as a young kid. And um, Marco Mealy went in and just absolutely went 100 miles an hour. And he was like 16 at the time. And the rest of the players um, were taken aback. The old Fords, you know, puffed their chest up and got upset. And were like, who's this kid coming in trying to belt us and stuff? It's a bloody training session, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they really tried to put it on him a few times, and that got really heated. And, and they merely got into it with some of the other forwards and stuff, you know. But that was a young guy just coming and proving themselves, you know. And it's just different levels of um, of training intensity, and yeah. and being at the Bulldogs as well himself. Um, Graham said, you know, last night that you know it, it can be just a difference of having an eighty percent session because you never want to go a hundred percent at each other. But another guy going at ninety percent, or another guy going a hundred percent. And you're taking exception to that because he's trying to, you know, physically dominate you in a 80%, 70% run. You know, that, that sort of stuff's always going to happen. These guys are alpha male, testosterone-driven yeah. athletes that are massive, that are all, you know, the best at what they've done coming through. It's it's not a big deal at all. And, I, I like, I feel a bit sorry for the troll. I'll tell you the one thing that I took out of it, Wilfred, when I watched that footage, I didn't come away thinking, oh, you know, Latrell and Host, they're idiots for getting into a fight. But I can't wait thinking, geez, Latrell actually looks pretty unfit. I couldn't get over how unfit that he looked again. <laughs> I mean, we, we, it's, it's nothing new, though. That's the thing. It's, that is often his body shape. And he's never been the best trainer. And I don't think anyone's going to pretend that he's ever going to be a fantastic trainer. But I guess, you know, the on-field results still speak for themselves. He can still do what he does and do it very successfully. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for us, you know, to judge how or like I, I kind of give maybe it's it's a different context, but like I always think of Nick Kyrgios, right, in the sense he gets judged by the fans who watch him and get annoyed at him because he's not putting in 
because they recognize he's supremely talented and you know in a way Luttrell is physically gifted and you know he has just bucket loads of talent he can do stuff that other people just can't even do same thing for Kyrgios in, in the tennis world and yet Kyrgios is playing at a super high level and he doesn't enter every single tournament because he doesn't want to sometimes he just wants to play you know play games on (laughs) and just have a have a relax he probably doesn't run as much as he probably should to get his fitness up but somehow he can still get out there and compete with some of the best tennis players in the world and you kind of look at Luttrell like yeah he doesn't put in all the hard yards that he probably should Uh, he'll do a certain level of it because there's got to be a base level of fitness but yet he can still play at the highest level that we have in the NRL and still dominate games while doing that. And it's just, you know, you kind of think, well, where's your ceiling? And then people get annoyed at him because he's obviously not, you know, in their mind, not committed enough, not doing the hard yards that some of the other less talented players bust their gut doing, you know, they, they, they try as much as they can. Their, their training is insane. Uh, their level of fitness and conditioning is absolutely top notch because they do that to be the best players that they can. Mm. And yet Latrell can hang with them and just and and I'm not saying he's half assing it, but you know what I mean? Like it's just I don't oh, think it's he could fair. be better that's, than what he could well, be better yeah, exactly. than what he is. Like he could be and that's the thing, like when you're looking at the all time greats, say, you know, JT's a really good example as well. Thurston is a recent one who put in a lot of work into his body and he was training and really turned around his leadership style, his attitude and things and 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 paid dividends. Uh, but like all the all time greats in the sport for the last hundred years well, since it's been professional anyway, have always done a lot of the time everything that they could to be the yep. best possible they could. And I'm a big believer in that. Like if it really annoys me when someone says, oh, that's not going to make much difference. If it makes 0.1% of difference, you do it if, if I'm in their position, you know, like that's how much I'd want to win. They're not all built the same though. And Latrell isn't built the same. I, I think the frustration with him and to, you know, play a bit of devil's advocate with this particular situation, you know, we're giving Latrell a, a complete pass. You've brought up a really good point, Wilfred, with his attitude. And I think that's one of the things where this could actually be bad down the track because one of the big question marks, and I had it when Latrell was at the Roosters, was has he got the right attitude? Is he ever going to grow up a little bit, mature a little bit and be more professional? And not that, you know, getting into a fight, a training like that isn't, you know, is a big deal, but you'd want to see Latrell being a leader now, especially without a Reynolds gone. Now, does a leader react the way that he did? You know, sometimes in the past you'd get some Ford Alphas that would act that way, but you wouldn't really get, you know, the Lockies, the Brad Fittlers, the Dailies, the Johns and stuff reacting in the same way. Um, and if they did when they were at their peak and they'd learnt a few things, they would still be able to, have, to maintain some really good leadership afterwards and um, not just smooth it over, but be able to, like, you know, lead the team. And that's still a question mark I've got on Latrell. And that might have come out a little bit in that dust up. So if I was going to play devil's advocate a little bit, there's a chance that that might fester a little bit if his attitude hasn't changed and matured a little bit. I think, and and this is where, like, not to bring it back to the Broncos all the time, but, <laughs> but I think when you think of the talented players but with bad attitude, like the Broncos had a lot of them. I think that's where their, 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 their recruitment and retention was just very unbalanced. They were so focused on getting and retaining these talented players that they didn't really think of the actual balance of the squad. Because for every Latrell, not saying anyone in the Broncos was as talented as Latrell, but you know, for every Tavita Pangai or, or whatever, someone who is super talented but questionable when it comes to maturity and level headedness and all those types of other qualities that, you know, you pair him with someone like a Kurt Capewell, you know, that's a good balance, you know, super talented one and and steady, uh just consistent and reliable, you know, great trainer, all of those types of qualities. I think that's where the Broncos really went the wrong way. And I think with the Rabbitohs, obviously with the troll, if he's one of their leaders, then you need someone else who's, you know, so I, I imagine Damien Cook is probably a very steadying influence for them as well. Yeah, Murray as well. Uh, exactly. And, and that's great because you've got the the senior leadership being that quality of player. Whereas, yeah, I think unchecked, someone like Luttrell could unbalance the squad and, and obviously make things very difficult. Mm, I agree. Uh, let's move on to our next topic. Do need to take a short break just to quickly mention a fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. Top Sport is a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker 
who often has best odds in market, fantastic service, all based in Australia, and they also happen to have fantastic markets for the NRL. Tigers are $4 at the moment plus, so if you like your upsets, they've got you covered there. They've also got some fantastic lines. Uh, I love the Roosters line of being able to pick your own one on Top Sport and pull it back to minus 10.5 and and still get $1.60 odds. Top Sport often have great odds in market, not just for NRL, but for all sports and racing if you're interested. Make sure you do gamble responsibly, but if you're going to have a gamble, go on Top Sport, www.topsport.com.au, or download the app and have a go there. But make sure you use our promo code. That is SC All Stars, all one word, just SC All Stars, and then they'll know take good care of you because they'll know that you're one of our listeners that have come over to give Top Sport a go. Topsport.com.au, get on and have a punt today. Drone Gates. <laughs> uh, Buzz Rothfield caused a stir on NRL 360 and also in his column this week by insinuating that the Bulldogs had some poor training uh, practices. Um, some of the new recruits were quietly saying that they weren't up to standard with some of the other clubs that they'd come from and that they were the only club that don't actually use drone footage in their uh, training sessions to dissect how they do their training runs and how they do their drills and how they do their plays and everything else, which is apparently very important in the NRL to use drone footage these days. And lo and behold, I love the I love the clap back on social media. It's fantastic where uh, Gus Gould showed the drone footage that they use. Uh, there was even um, before that somebody put up. This is what was happening a couple of hours beforehand, <laughs> before NRL three hundred and sixty, and it was all the guys in like an auditorium watching on a big um, projector screen the drone footage of that day's training session and stuff. So that was great. That really sort of made Buzz look silly. But some of the other journalists as well um, did bring up that. Uh, there has been some some talk that the, the training hasn't been great. Um, and one of the, I guess, scary things for the Bulldogs and Dogs fans, whilst Drone Gate might have been debunked, the performances in the trials haven't been great. And you can't take too much away from that. But I think when you're coming off a season where the Bulldogs were easily the worst in the league and there's you know half a dozen new starters under Barrett that they've paid a lot of money for and Gus Gould has now jumped in as a figurehead within that club, there's going to be a lot of pressure. And already, if this is coming out, there's the questions of is Barrett already under the pump? Now, I'll, I'll go on record, Wilfred, to say that I've never believed in Barrett. Um, I thought that he was a really good assistant coach. And I think that um, how he left Manly was pretty bad. Um, and I don't think that he's proven himself still. And what I've seen from the Bulldogs, especially from someone like Trent Barrett, who I think was a really underrated half in his day and doesn't get spoken about enough how good he was, uh, their, their attack just was really bad last year. And he doesn't seem to know what to do. So... I'm, it's a storyline for the early parts of this season that I'm really interested in. But what was your takeaway from both these Bulldogs rumours and stuff, but also as far as Barrett being under the pump so early on? I, I, I mean, to work backwards, I totally agree. Like, I've never really seen the appeal of Trent Barrett as a coach. Uh, I think, you know, he was probably a, maybe a, a beneficiary of the circumstances at the time. He was in the right place, really. Um, I, I don't see him as a, a genuine, you know, NRL quality coach. And as someone who has Kevy Walters coaching his club, um, I feel like I've got some authority to weigh in on that, right? Of course. <laughs> Expert level. I think um, the problem for, for me is that, like, I'm happy to give the Bulldogs some time, if I can put it that way. Mm. I, I think that they do deserve an opportunity to settle in. You know, they've had some changes, new fullback new, you know, primary half, um, as well as just, you know, their back line's quite different. They've had, you know, a lot of moving parts across the, the top 13. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to give them a little bit of time for that to settle in because we know it takes time. Yep. Um, you know, how long that takes, you'd hope it wouldn't be too long because, you know, they could be, you know, one and nine or two and eight or something by then. Um, but I just think for, for that reason, um, you know, Barrett probably will get some time before his job is actually at risk. I know a lot of people have him as the first coach sacked this year. I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate. Um, but like to me, I think that will probably be the reason he gets some time before his job's actually on the line. If they finish wooden spooners again, I think he's gone. Like, I mean, surely he's gone before the end of the season if that's how they're trending. Yeah, it's a tough one because they've kind of put themselves in a situation where they said for a couple of years now that they've got this big long-term plan um, and they've, they've shown their hand with it and made some really good signings. 
And next year, they've got even more signings coming on board with guys like Kikau and so forth. So it, it's it's really hard to then pull the pin halfway through that on a coach when you've said years ago, we've got this plan and we know that it's not going to come to fruition until like, you know, 2023 type of thing. So I think that's where they've put themselves in a bit of a corner and that's where it makes it a little bit difficult because obviously Barrett's narrative from his side and his camp is going to be, if he gets fired, well, you know, I already inherited a bad roster. The moves that we've made are going to make us good, but I didn't get any time with it. Um, And that's, even though I don't think that he'll do well anyway with them, uh, I, it's, I still think that's probably a fair argument from his point of view. You know, I, I don't think we're going to know really until next year on how good the Bulldogs really can be and how how well Barrett can go. One of the things that I have an issue with is twofold. One, I don't necessarily think that just looking at wins and losses is a fair way to, to do things sure. under some circumstances. Yeah, certainly it's it's ultimately what you're after in a, in a football team or any sporting team. You need wins. But when you're rebuilding a roster, I don't think you can just look at the wins and losses. And th- like, there's context that needs to be put there, right? Like they were talking on NRL 360. Well, the Bulldogs could go one and seven in their first eight games because they've got a really tough first two months, right? Their draw is shocking. So like, is that fair? That if you start like one and seven or, or two and eight, you know, that you just wield the axe because they've lost so many games. But what if in those eight losses, they looked really good and they were improving week on week and they were against the best competition, you know, like yep. shouldn't that balance it out a little bit? Yeah. I mean, on paper, absolutely agree. They should give him a little bit of a leeway there. I I just think that at the end of the day, though, like the, the club's going to be under some pressure to do something, right, to be perceived as doing something. And the, the thing with... I don't know. Like I, I kind of think back at Trent Barrett's coaching career, and I the thing that sticks in my mind mm. is 2018 when he had the Seagulls. He had Tommy Turbo playing almost a full season at fullback, and you know he had Daly Cherry Evans foot fit for most of the year. You know they had a decent pack with Tur- you know Jake Turbo, uh, you know prime Jake Turbo. Marty Tapau was there. Fanua Blake was there. Like that team came 15th. Yeah, yeah, and look at what Des did with that same sort of roster too. Exactly, like it just to me, I just kind of think like that's not a good, you know, good thing to have in your resume, and that's why I have like massive reservations on you know is Trent Barrett like going to get too long, even with the signings that they're making and obviously all the positive things that they're expecting to see on the field, like you need to see something right, and I do feel like even if it's not looking purely at the wins and losses or whatever, but if they're still getting flogged, like uh, I think that's probably going to be enough for them to just go, look, had enough for you mm. well, and find someone else. It's just a problem is that who do you get, right? <laughs> it's not like Well, that's... I mean, like guys like Jeff Tuvey has haven't had a job forever. And like, I'm not, I, I don't say that Tuvey's the best coach ever, but like he's, he's been, he's been pretty far with some teams, you know, and he's won premierships and stuff. And, it's 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 funny sometimes the amount of guys that just get thrown out of the league from a coaching perspective that don't end up finding their way back. Yeah. Uh, and like I would have Tuvi over Barrett for sure, um, but Tuvi's now been out of the game for quite a while. Yeah, so that now becomes yeah. that becomes an issue now. But like with Barrett, it's it, it really accentuates the point too on how important it is not to make the wrong decision in the first place. Like if you're the Bulldogs. You can't whinge five years in when you get rid of him. We gave him too long because you're the guys that hired him in the first place when a lot of people, including me, thought it was a poor hire. So you're going to wear the consequence of that. And part of it as well is I think you almost have to see it through. Like if you believed in Trent Barrett and you were going to give him a five-year plan, then you kind of have to see it through. Like I don't agree with it and I don't think you're right, but you're the ones that said that you were and you made that decision. So now you have to give him that opportunity. Uh, and I, like you said, I don't think, you know, what do you do now? You get rid of Barrett and you bring someone else in that you don't know who that's going to be and maybe they're not going to be any better or maybe they take three years to get anywhere and it's not their roster either, it's not their style. Uh, one of the other things that was brought up in NRL 360, which I found interesting too, was that the um, Kyle Flanagan talk and the halves talk. You know, now, <laughs> like I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll put a full caveat out there, I'm not a Kyle Flanagan fan at all. I do not understand, like, it's almost like there's an agenda or like his daddy's friends with too many people in the media (laughs) that he keeps being brought up as this hard done by case. You know, the only player in the history of rugby league since 1908 that's ever been dropped. You know, he got dropped because he wasn't playing well. 
the Roosters let him go because he wasn't playing well enough and he has some holes in his game and he has some attitude problems that have been reported, whether they're true or not, I don't know him, but just on the reports and stuff, that has all been there on the football side of things. I've watched it. It is definitely there. You know, it's, I really get frustrated all the time, every month that Kyle Flanagan gets brought up as being hard done by. Having said that, Wilfred, totally agree with NRL 360. What do you do in a trial when you don't have a clear-cut halfback? You try them all, you know, and if you're paying Kyle Flanagan 450000 for the next two years, you try him out. Like, I, I don't think I'd end up starting with him. But you know what? If he got one and a half games in the trials and he looked really good next to Burton, I'll probably give him a go because it's not like Avarillo is blowing the world away and hasn't had opportunity. So I agree with that too. Some of the decision-making has sort of made it look like Barrett is very rigid. He's set in stone and he's not very innovative with changing his game plans or, or how he's doing things. Yeah, look, it, it, it did boggle the mind that if you've got someone like that on the books, you know, you do give him a shot. Like even, I mean, how, how many minutes are you at? Like 13 or something like that? Playing with Burton? You barely played. Oh, it's yeah. just a joke. Like, Give him a half, you know. Like you just, you might not learn anything new, but I, I do agree. I'm not 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 a Flano fan at all uh, in terms of you know what I saw. Like I, he was meant to be a gun, right, coming through juniors, and he was very highly rated, but it just never translated to first grade. And you know whether we weigh into all the attitude or you know supposed ego problems that he was having and, and clashing with teammates and whatever, like. I think that that stuff can be fixed, you know, with maturity. He's still a young kid. And I think the bigger issue is that he's, he, his football is not translating. And I, I mean, I don't know how he's gone in, in reserve grade. He's obviously played some games there, but I, I definitely think, yeah, the longer he's out of first grade, the worse it looks for his outlook moving forward. Yeah. And i tell you something that doesn't happen. Like regardless of your attitude, regardless of how much people don't like you, the best way as a football player to overcome that is to be a really good football player. You don't see really good players that are training and playing the house down, not getting a spot in NRL. They get a spot. You know, there's been some real assholes that have maintained spots in, in NRL first grade teams because they've just been too talented not to. Now, if you're not performing well enough, you don't get it. Um, but I, I think that, you mentioned a really good point, Wilfred. He needs to play some footy, and it's something that with the pandemic, it hasn't really been there for these guys in second grade and stuff. So I think that this year, um, even next year, if he's still in reserve grade, like it's it's going to be really good for him because he's going to get some consistent footy, even if it's not an NRL level, and he's going to get to show whether his game and himself has matured and gotten better. And if it has, like I'm sure that he, he will be able to get an opportunity again. But it's a big question mark because he's got to show that. You know, like one of the things, and, and I'm like in the Cronulla area, I, I know I, I know of Kyle Flanagan coming through the ranks quite well. I, my past football team was coached by Flanagan Senior. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I left, I think, a year later and played them in the in the semifinals and stuff and whatever, but I still had a lot of mates playing under him. Um, it's, you know, he's always been there as a star coming through. But one of the things that was really evident was when he, even at Cronulla, when he started playing first grade, but he was very young, but definitely at the Roosters, his, his game was no different. He didn't adjust to the NRL. He didn't adjust to the training or to the directives that were given to him. And right. he's trying to do the same stuff. And he had the same attitude of being a gun where it was like, you're not anymore, mate. You know, the, you did this stuff in, you know, the lower grades when you're a young kid playing against kids that were never going to play in the NRL and you dominated and all this stuff worked and you were a gun. But you can't have that same attitude at the NRL because you're not and it's not working. And then on top of that, defensively, he was an absolute speed hump for the Roosters. Like the amount of times that he got run over and targeted and just stuffed up that defence, you know, and that was predominantly the big thing that really pushed Robertson over the edge in the end defensively. It, just, it was too much deficiency defensively and it wasn't overshadowed by everything else that he brought on the table. Uh, and that was a big issue. And then if you're throwing attitude problems as well on top of that, if they were there, then, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster if you want to have a long NRL career. So not to pile on Flanagan. Like you said, he's still young. He still should get an opportunity. Any trials, you know, I would have played him in every trial. So yeah, exactly. certainly the Bulldogs have got their problems. Um, I do think that Barrett is under the pump. Um, but like you, you know, to finish up, rating coaches at are going to get fired first. I mean, we can't say Kevin Walters. He's got his extension. <laughs> hey, you know, um, Garth Brennan was turf six months into a two-year extension, so it could happen, honestly. Oh, yeah. If the Broncos are 1-10, you know, halfway through the season, he could be gone. I, I wouldn't write it off. 
I'd be curious to see if, as part of this extension if they maybe restructured a payout, agree- payout agreement so that it could to make it easier to turf him if they if he doesn't succeed this year. Wouldn't it be funny if they have this thing where it's like we're not firing him, he's just not going to coach anymore and he's going into this special GM role? I could <laughs> see the Broncos trying to spin something like that. Look, um, he's not going to be the one of the first ones. Oh, like I'm surprised that Peyton isn't being mentioned um, and Maguire. Like when you mentioned Barrett, like Peyton and Maguire are probably under the pump more so than what Barrett is, right? I mean, yeah, look, it makes sense. I guess, uh, I mean, it's hard because... I just, I genuinely thought Peyton was doing a pretty good job with the Warriors. And then mm. when he took the job at the Cowboys, I thought, you know, that's a good hire. But nothing I've seen since then has been positive. Like he's constantly made baffling decisions. Like you kind of look at, you know, Kevy, Kevy Walters' bad choices and selections. But I, I kind of feel like what Peyton's done with Tom Malolo seems to be. <laughs> you know, potentially far worse than anything Kevy's done so far. I don't know. Maybe you might have a different opinion on that one, but yeah. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good fight between them to decide which one's worse, but <laughs> it's, uh, I'd, I'd probably have Kevy worse still, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Look, I, I think at the moment, Peyton and Madge are probably the two under the most pressure and I don't think the Barrett is quite there yet, but That'll finish up the Talk and Footy NRL All-Stars podcast for this week. Wilfred, it has been great having you on. I love chatting footy with you. I uh, love having you on the non-Supercoach episode. So thanks very much for making the time to jump on. No, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was good to chat footy, like I said, without any sort of Supercoach flavor to it. Uh, it's yeah, not, not often we can just vent, or, or maybe it's just me just venting about the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> Very therapeutic for you. It was a good episode to get you on. Uh, look, if you want to hear Wilfred more, and he, if you do like Supercoach, he does have his Supercoach podcast that you can listen to. It is the NRL Supercoach Champions podcast. Does that with a couple of other great geniuses in the Supercoach world, and it's a fantastic listen. You can find that just about everywhere. Uh, for this podcast, make sure that you download or stream and certainly subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Uh, also need to mention the fantastic sponsor, of the NRL All-Stars podcast, and that is Top Sport. 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. Use SC All-Stars as your promo code to make sure that you get looked after really well as one of our listeners. Make sure you follow us on Twitter too, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. You'll find all the latest episodes and tweets on there telling you what's happening as far as the week goes. For this week, we're done on the podcast front. Uh, Starting next week, we'll have our Teamless Tuesday episode dropping for Supercoach on Wednesday. And we'll have our Talking Footy episode dropping at the end of the week again. Thanks very much for listening once again. Look forward to chatting to you again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.